Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Well, again, good morning. Uh, My name is David. I'm the lead pastor here. If I've not met you, I want to welcome you on behalf of our Apostles family. This morning, we're going to continue in our series in John chapter 4 called Living Water for Thirsty People. Living Water for Thirsty People. And in this series, we've been looking at this uh, encounter that Jesus has here recorded in John chapter 4 with a Samaritan woman at a well. well. In particular, we've been looking not only at who Jesus is and what this reveals to us about who we are, but uh, specifically how this can help us as we consider Jesus' call to the ministry of evangelism, bearing witness so that others might know him and life in his name. And so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit more about this passage, just looking at these two verses we read in chapter 4, 25 and 26. I want to encourage you to grab a Bible, open up, have that open in front of you this morning. Chapter 4, verse 25, 26, there's Bibles in the seat backs near you. Uh, Feel free to share with a neighbor. But chapter 4, verses 25 and 26. Now, last week, we, we led up to this uh, portion of the account by looking at the conversation that had developed at this well between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And we talked about what we can learn from the way that Jesus engages her and talks with her. Uh, we called it the art of spiritual conversation. And that conversation was very intentional on Jesus' uh, part to lead somewhere. He was leading her gently but intentionally towards something. And we come to that something this morning in verse 25 and 26. This is the climax, you could say, of the entire episode of the conversation, but even of the encounter in some ways. Everything that has happened has been leading to this moment, to these two verses. So I just want to look at these two verses in succession and kind of unpack them together and then just briefly share a couple of implications, I think, in particular around the question of what does this teach us about evangelism? So look at verse 25 first. It says, The woman said to him, to Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming. And then parentheses, he who's called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Okay, so just looking at this, this is a very dense uh, statement that she makes, powerful statement that she's making here. What is it she's actually saying? I think we need to ask four questions together to kind of dig into this together. Who is the Messiah? What's the relationship between Messiah and this word Christ? What does she mean when she says, he who comes will tell us all things? And then finally, why is she bringing up this in the conversation now? How did we get there? What's the logical kind of sequence and connection that brings us to this question of Messiah? Okay, so we're going to look at each of these questions together. So first, who is the Messiah? Who is the Messiah? So the word Messiah is the ancient Hebrew word, uh, which means uh, anointed or the anointed one. And in ancient Israel, people with special roles So, for example, kings and priests were often anointed with 
oil. And this anointing was a physical sign that they were being set apart. They were being consecrated to God for his divine purpose in their life and in the life of the people of Israel. And so they were anointed uh, as kings or as priests. Perhaps the greatest example of this was Israel's greatest king, King David. David was anointed the king, and as a part of that, God made a covenant with him and promised him and his descendants that he would raise up someone from his line who would be, uh, in a sense, the ultimate anointed one. Uh, So the king of kings, the perfect king, the perfect anointed one, the Messiah. And this Messiah would fulfill all of God's covenant promises on behalf of God's covenant people. And so that begs the question, well, what promises were those? What promises were entailed in this covenant? We could kind of categorize them this way. Promises to liberate the people of God from their captivity. So if you remember the history of Israel, throughout the history of God's people, they were uh, overtaken, captive, taken into exile by different groups of people, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Persians, the Greeks, and now in Jesus' day, the Romans have conquered and occupied Israel. And so the promise was that God would return them from exile uh, to the land that he had promised to give them, all the way back in Genesis 12 to Abraham. So you've got that promise, and you've got the promise that not only will he bring them back, but he'll restore the kingdom of Israel to its glory. And then along with that, that that will usher in, ultimately, God's eternal reign, not over not just Israel, but over the entire world, over the nations. The Messiah will restore God's reign and order. And so all this is kind of built into this idea of the Messiah, the anointed one. And through this messianic reign, not only will, uh, will all these things happen, but this will touch every single life in a way. And you get a sense of this when you read passages like Isaiah 61, which are on the lips of Jesus when he's explaining why he's coming, who he is in the Gospels. He says, the spirit of the Lord, Isaiah 61.1, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And so you get this holistic kind of picture of what the Messiah is bringing. And you begin to sense why there's so much anticipation, this longing for this Messiah, this anointed one, to come. The promised, long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of Israel and the world. He, in other words, is the ultimate hero that everybody is waiting for. And so that's what she's referring to when she says Messiah. So that's the answer to who is the Messiah. Next question that leads to is, well, what's the relationship between Messiah and then this little parenthetical comment uh, about the Christ? Who is called Christ? Now, this is, um, it's, it's actually pretty straightforward, but I think it's important to note because it appears so many times in the New Testament. In fact, it was just, I was just noticing as we were singing this morning, you realize how many, how many times we refer to Christ. And so it's a word that we use a lot, and I just want to make sure that we kind of really appreciate the fullness of what Christ means. So if we were reading this in the original Greek, I think this little parentheses would make more sense to us. We probably just breeze past it uh, as kind of extraneous information. But if we were reading the original Greek, this is for Greek readers because what John is doing, he's saying, look, to help you in the Greek, I want you to understand this Hebrew term, Messiah, we're actually translating into the Greek as Christos. 
And so it appears that basically every time you see Christos, it's referring to the same person. Christos and Messiah, in other words, mean the same thing, the anointed one. And again, interestingly, Christos appears in the New Testament over 500 times. In other words, this is a hugely important word for understanding what we said at the beginning, which is John's goal of, uh, of helping us understand who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And so it's not just some kind of unique, obscure word that appears in parentheses in a conversation with a woman at a well in Samaria. It is a hugely important word, central to the story of the Bible and central to the New Testament and the witness to Jesus. So the third question that leads to is, what does she mean when she says this Messiah, this Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things? So again, we have to do a little background work to understand where this comes from. To understand why she says this, we have to know a little bit about the Samaritans. Now, we discussed this a few weeks ago, that the Samaritans uh, are Jews who have intermarried with Gentiles, uh, over, over time through exile and being bought back and moved around. And basically what happens is they intermarry with these Gentiles and they adopt some of the kind of other religious beliefs and idiosyncratic practices of these non-Jews and they mix them in with their, with their Jewish belief and, uh, and, um, and practices. And so one of the things that happens is over time, interestingly, the Samaritans, they reject everything that we have in our Old Testament today except for the five books of Moses. So when they talk about uh, the book of the law, they're only talking about those first five books, the Pentateuch. And so with those first five books, as they come to a close, one of the things that happens is Moses is the prominent figure. And after Moses, the question is, then who comes? Then who will come? And there's a promise that comes at the end of Deuteronomy 18, 18. It says, I will raise up for them a prophet, the people of God, a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I commanded him. And the Samaritans had taken this because this is the end of their Old Testament, and they clung to this promise. And they clung to this promise, and they understood for them this figure was someone called the Taheb. The Teheb was the Samaritan version of the Messiah. So this is where things kind of start all coming together. So Messiah for Samaritans means someone who will come in the role of a prophet and a revealer of truth in the same way that Moses was uh, in the first five books of the Bible. So they're holding to this figure. The prophet will lead them into all truth, a great prophet, a teacher of the law, the Teheb, their Messiah, who is like Moses. So this is the Messiah of the Samaritans who would reveal all things. So this leads to, why does this come up now? Why does this come up in their conversation? When Jesus begins to talk with her, what does he do in the midst of the conversation? He begins to reveal truth to her, right? Truth not only about who he is, truth not only about who she is, but truth about who God is and how we worship him in spirit and in truth. And so you've got this whole conversation building between the two of them, and it sounds to her very much like the promised one who would reveal all things, the Teheb, the Messiah. 
And so she's already got this floating around in her head because of what's happening in this conversation. So again, this kind of goes back to last week, just the beauty of how Jesus is leading her to the place where he's leading her in the conversation. And what's amazing to me is that Jesus has been helping her get to this place bit by bit by bit to see who he really is based on what she already knows. Again, meeting her right where she is. So much so that she is the one who speaks the word Messiah into the conversation, not Jesus. In other words, who he is appears on her lips in the midst of this conversation. And it's this beautiful example of, I think, the way that the Lord meets us and, uh, and works in terms of where we are to draw us to himself. And so it's this revelation that she has slowly come to that maybe he's the Messiah. So this leads then to a response. So we've kind of worked through those four questions about what she said. What about what Jesus says in response? Jesus in verse 26 said to her, I who speak to you am he. I who speak to you am he. What Jesus says here is incredible, incredible. And I think because of the way the ESV translates it, which is what we used, we miss how incredible this is. I touched on this last week. The NIV better captures the original Greek here when it translates Jesus' answer to her this way. I who speak to you, I am he. I am he. We talked about this a little bit last week, but I just want to come back to it because I think it's so important. This little phrase, I am, is a very important phrase in the Bible, and in particular, in the Gospel of John. It points us back to Exodus 3, where God reveals his name to Moses. I am who I am. Just think about how powerful it is when you know someone's name, not just a generic sense of who that person is, but know their name. And even more so when you know their story. And that's what's happening in Exodus chapter three. We're discovering God and his story and how it intersects and helps us understand our story. And so the name of God has this power. God's name declares that he is before all and he is above all, that he is all-knowing and all-powerful and all-present. He is not dependent on anything. He is who he is. I am who I am. That is his name, the name that becomes in Hebrew, Yahweh. So just an interesting side note, every time in the Old Testament, you may be aware of this, every time you see it, all caps, L-O-R-D, that actually is Yahweh. It's what's called the tetragrammaton. It's these four letters, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. And, and what's happened is that the people who wrote the Bible, the Old Testament, they wanted to so honor the name of God that they didn't want to accidentally say it. So they put Lord, Adonai, in caps as a placeholder. So just every time you read uh, the scriptures, you're reading about this God who's revealed his name, Yahweh. And so Yahweh here appears in the New Testament where on the lips of Jesus. Jesus says, I am. And who is he talking about? Himself. Jesus is saying he is God in the flesh. It's John 1. God took on flesh and dwelt among us. And now that's working itself out here at a well in Samaria. God is present with this woman. And Jesus identifies himself this way over and over again in the Gospel of John. 
So just real quick, I think we've got just a list of these. I'm just gonna read them off. Jesus says this, I am the bread of life, 635. I am the light of the world, John 8, 12. I am the door, 10, 7. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am, I am, I am, I am. It couldn't be more clear who Jesus is. He is, I am. And then ultimately in John chapter eight, Jesus explicitly says this uh, to the religious leaders of the day. He says, before Abraham was born, I am. No doubt who he is. Which makes it all the more remarkable that the first time he ever reveals this to any human being is to this Samaritan woman at the well. To a broken, hurting woman who's been repeatedly divorced and now is living with someone who's not her husband who's been publicly shamed and marginalized. And Jesus looks upon this woman in her desperation and the destruction and the ruins of her life. And what he says to her is, I want you to know who I am. He reveals himself to be God in the flesh for the first time in the Gospel of John to this woman. But he doesn't stop there. What does he say? He says, I am he. Who is he? I am he, who she was just speaking about, Messiah. I am Messiah. I am the one that you were speaking of. I'm the one that you were longing for, Messiah, the Christ. Up until now in the gospel, people have suspected, people have wondered. They thought, is this the Christ? The disciples ask. Could Jesus be the Messiah? But Jesus has not answered that question. Not to them, not to Nicodemus, a member of the religious elite. To no one else has Jesus revealed what he now reveals to her. I am he. I am the promised Messiah. Why does Jesus reveal this to her? Of all the people in the world, she gets to be the first. I think there are three reasons. And I think one of the most compelling is the last reason, but I think they're all important. So let me just outline why I think Jesus chooses to reveal himself as the Messiah to a woman at a well in Samaria. The first reason is, in Israel, the messianic expectation had become so conflated with political and populist ideas, it would be an impediment to Jesus' ministry in some ways to reveal too soon who he was as the Messiah. So for Jesus to publicly claim to be the Messiah would have been easily misunderstood and obscured in a lot of ways his true message and impaired his mission. And so I think on some levels it was just, it was a practical uh, concession, which connects to the second reason. I think he shared this with a Samaritan woman, a non-Jew. It's because the Messiah has come not just for Israel, but for the whole world, for all people. Jesus has come to save not just a people, but all people. In other words, Jesus is with a Samaritan because he wants the world to understand what they begin to understand and what they proclaim in John chapter four, verse 42, that Jesus is the savior of the world. And so they see him and they understand that mission and they understand what it means that he's the Messiah for all people. And then the last reason I think he reveals this um, truth to this woman at this time 
is what we were singing about. It's because of the heart and the nature of God. It's because who he is. I believe Jesus reveals himself as Messiah to this woman because she has been ready to receive a Messiah. She was broken. She was thirsty. She was open to the possibility that he might be the Savior, and she desperately needed him to be her Savior. Jesus was God incarnate, the God of steadfast love, full of mercy, tender and compassionate. This isn't a theoretical idea that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Messiah. And so when the God of the universe steps in and encounters a daughter of his creation, his heart is moved, moved by her brokenness. And he says to her, I am, I am the Messiah. I'm here to heal and to restore and to save you from this life of sin and despair and destruction. And so this is the climax. This is where every spiritual conversation leads to the person of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. On the cross, Jesus declares, I am he. I am the Messiah who's come to deliver from sin and save us from death by taking on our sin and our death, what we deserved, he takes on himself, and by his wounds we are healed. By his resurrection we're reborn into new life. We do not stand condemned by our old life, our failures, our sin, our shame. We are forgiven just like this woman. We are freed just like this woman. We are made whole just like her by trusting in Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. Here in this conversation between Jesus and a woman, the cosmic story that's been unfolding about salvation is revealed and breaks into a solitary life. And Jesus the Messiah has come to save the world and to save you and to save me. So what does all this teach us about evangelism? I think these two verses lead me to two questions that can help me as I kind of think about what it means and what it looks like to share this good news that Jesus is the Messiah with others. And the first question I would say is this. I want to encourage you, maybe jot this down and make a mental note. Do you know Jesus as the Messiah? Do you know Jesus as the Messiah? Do you know him personally? Do you know his grace do you know the man who's told you everything you ever did and loves you and gave his life for you, who offers forgiveness and healing and freedom from sin and shame? Do you know this Jesus? That's such an important question for evangelism because we cannot share what we do not know. We cannot give what we do not have. And so the first and most important question is, do you know him as your savior, as your Messiah? as your Christ. And the second question is this, who in your life needs to know the Jesus you know? Who in your life needs to know this Jesus that you've come to know? When we know Jesus and we know that he saved us, we actually have something to share. I wanna just encourage you, just pause and think about what God has done for you, what he's forgiven you of, the ways he's healed you, what he's freed you of, 
You have a story to tell about this Christ, about this Savior, this Messiah. Who in your family needs to hear that story? Who in your family needs to know this Jesus and what he's done for you? Who on your street needs to hear about the Christ? Which of your classmates, your coworkers, your friends are desperately longing to know that they can be free, free from sin and shame? As we close, I just want to invite us just to take some time and reflect together on those two questions. Before we get into our week and before things take off and we move on to other things, that we would really consider these two questions. Do you know this Jesus that we've been talking about as the Messiah? And who in your life needs to know the Jesus that you know? So let's just take some time in prayer. I invite you just to close your eyes. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us to reflect on who you are to us, Jesus. And Lord, if we know you as our Savior, as our Messiah, as the one who's come to set us free, to heal us, forgive us, and to give us life, new life, Lord, I pray that you would just remind us of that, that you are our Messiah. And Lord, if there's someone in this room that doesn't know that, Lord, I pray this morning that they would see you maybe for the first time, not just as a Savior, but their Savior. And then, Lord, we pray in the midst of um, considering who you are and that you're our Savior, Lord, we want to pray for the people around us, the people in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would bring to mind one person, even now. Maybe it's a member of our family. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's someone we haven't talked to in a long time. But, Lord, that you would bring to mind a person that needs to hear this good news that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Savior they desperately need. And Lord, I pray that you would place that person on our hearts and that you would move us to speak and to act as your Holy Spirit directs, that we might point to you, Jesus, as the one who saves and that they might have life in your name. So Lord, bring that person's name to mind. Lord, I pray we carry that name with us as we leave here today, that our hearts would break for that name. Lord, that you would give us opportunity to trust you and step out in faith, to speak and show the love of Jesus to that person somehow this week. Lord, we thank you that you have come. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. And so we give you praise and we give you thanks. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org. 